Welcome to About the Journey, the podcast from Marriott Bonvoy Traveler that takes you on a road trip where the end point is not the end goal. We've all heard the phrase, life is about the journey, not the destination, and I couldn't agree more. It's about the people you meet and the stories you hear along the way. I'm your host, Onika Raymond. I'm a travel journalist and a member of Marriott Bonvoy, and I couldn't be more excited to share my favorite unexpected stories with you from my travels around the world. On this episode, we'll be taking a Hawaii road trip along the breathtaking North Shore of Oahu. You can drive this loop around much of the island in under four hours, but there's no rush. It's best to spend a full day on the trip. Along the way, you'll get a first-hand look at the rich coastal life of Hawaii and come away with an understanding and respect for its strong ties to the surrounding ocean. We'll stop at an unexpected location for some of the best poke on the island. We'll speak to a diver whose life work is dedicated to protecting the creatures of the ocean. We'll also visit the sacred land of Waimea Valley to learn about the ancient gods who blessed this island with the lush nature it's known for. That's all to come, so buckle up. From Waikiki Beach, we'll travel around the southeastern tip of the island before curving up for a scenic coastal drive to the North Shore. As you ride along the beautiful Oahu coastline, the high rises of Honolulu fade in your rear view and are replaced by palm trees and dramatic mountain ranges. Take a break along the route and stretch your legs at Hanauma Bay Nature Preserve or one of the many beaches and state parks where you can take a long look at the expansive ocean before you. If you're here in winter, keep an eye out for whales that are sometimes spotted from Makapu'u. They leave puffs of white air from their blowholes lingering over the water. As we follow Kamehameha Highway, which hugs the coast, it's easy to feel the significance of the ocean. Its influence spreads throughout Oahu and the rest of the state, from the food to the stories shared among locals. As we near the northern tip of the island, about two hours from Waikiki, we'll step inside what looks to be a typical grocery store, Kahuku Superette. The little market sells the usual sundries like soda, snacks, and toothpaste. But within these unassuming walls, you'll find a dish that honors the rich flavors of the bountiful ocean, shoyu poke. The secret lies in owner Tina Lee's family recipe for the sauce, which she makes herself. Kahuku Superette is a very iconic, hole-in-the-wall kind of store um, out, out there. Here's Micah Suderman. He's a local chef and restaurant owner who grew up on classic Hawaiian fare like Kahuku Superette's poke. It is really one of the first places for poke bowls where they started putting rice and you could get it with furukake and the rice, which is a seaweed, sesame seed blend. And for me, the standout of good poke is fresh fish. You start off with a product only as good as what you have, and they always had a great cut of fresh ahi for that. While fresh fish is the starting point, the secret lies in the sauce. Owner Tina Lee marinates thick cubes of deep red ahi tuna in a family recipe inspired by the flavors of her homeland. Tina's nationality is Korean. She immigrated from Korea. That's Harmon Lee, Tina's husband. He met Tina after she moved to Oahu from Korea in 1972, bringing her grandmother's secret recipe with her. In 1992, Tina and Harmon took over Kahuku Superette. 
she had purchased the store from another older Korean couple at the time. So there was no, you know, big uh, <laughs> opening thing or anything. Instead, their success was more of a slow burn. The old store had offered poke, but it was very traditional. So Tina figured she'd start adding her own tasty homemade paste as the base of her shoyu sauce, along with other staple Korean ingredients. So what she did, she made what they call the uh, Korean hot sauce, kochujang. So she prepared that. And after she made that, she added it with the shoyu along with the ginger and the shoyu. And what it is, is that she makes a whole lot of uh, five-gallon buckets. So it sort of ages you in the bucket. So that's why there's a little different taste to her soy sauce. Talk of Tina's shoyu poke traveled fast. Soon, she was making 300 buckets at a time. During the surf season, a lot of the people come in. Some of them will stop by and uh, pick up their poke bowls with the fish and rice. And, you know, it makes a little, you know, fast meal for them. And, you know, they... They'll spend hours out in the water, and uh, they will be hungry when they come in. (laughs) You know, Tina's story of fusing Korean flavors with the fresh local ingredients of Oahu is characteristic of the foods you'll find across the island. You see, Hawaii is one of the most racially diverse states in the U.S. It's home to immigrants from Japan, Thailand, the Philippines, and so many other countries with distinct flavors, from Chinese pork bows to Portuguese sweetbreads and Tina's Korean shoyu sauce. Oahu has embraced all of these regional specialties and put its own spin on them. The bind that holds it all together is the desire to feed the people of Oahu to show love through good food. You know, when you are here, you're really transported into another time, I think, where people still care about the people around them, care about taking care of them, right? You know, one thing growing up, your grandparents or your aunties would always stuff you to the point of just wanting to explode because they just wanted to make sure you were well-fed, well-nourished, and taken care of. So after savoring Tina Lee's secret masterpiece, it's time to get back on the road. Of course, if you're looking for something sweet, swing by Willy Willy Shave Ice Haven, just down the road in Kahuku. No trip to the North Shore is complete without a cone, so give lychee or pineapple a try. We'll burn off the sugar in no time at our next stop, just a 15-minute drive away. From Kahuku, we'll round the northern tip of Oahu and drive to a beach known for its legendary waves, Hukai Beach, and the surfing mecca known as the Bonsai Pipeline. Top surfers come from all over the world to attempt to master these epic, nearly 20-foot waves. Oh my goodness, that wave was so good. It's one of the most renowned places on earth just as a whole, regardless of surfing. The hikes around here are beautiful, the beach is beautiful. It's probably one of the best waves to surf in the world, so... I'd be bold to do it, because I wouldn't, so... (laughs) The ocean swells are most forceful in the winter months, when so many of North Shore's surf competitions take place. The summer months then bring much calmer waters, ideal for snorkeling. Marking the seasons by the swells is the norm for North Shore locals. We literally have some of our schedules are around the ocean and the weather and the swells. And I think it's sort of because it's a surf community, everybody tends to go to bed early, especially if there's like a big swell the next day. That's Ocean Ramsey. She's an expert free diver and marine biologist who grew up on the North Shore. 
She's devoted her life to protecting the ocean and its sea creatures, especially sharks. And yes, Ocean is her real name. Ocean founded One Ocean Diving, a company she runs with her husband, Juan Oliphant. Together, they take groups out snorkeling and freediving with sharks. They also do work and research for ocean conservation, hosting monthly reef and beach cleanups. Their mission is to educate people about the beauty of the ocean and its marine life. It's something that was instilled into Ocean at just seven years old, when she took a swim in the ocean, like any other North Shore kid, and encountered one of the most feared and misunderstood sea creatures out there. I was probably only in like maybe 10 feet of water. And I was just swimming along and this figure entered into my field of vision um, from below and behind me, just along the bottom. So it was cruising along the bottom. I felt very non-threatened. I had never seen a shark before. And as it, it swims into frame with the very, very unique way that a shark moves, There's just something, like I said, that's so unique and beautiful and instantly, instinctually commanding about their presence. And I found it absolutely mesmerizing. And there was the moment where it had passed all the way through my sort of field of vision directly below me. And that's that moment that, you know, it feels like time stands still. I was very curious, but there's an instinctual part of you. It's probably in nature, right? Where you're like, is it caution or is it curiosity? And that's my choice, right? I can either sort of follow after it and learn a little bit more about it, or I could be nervous, right, and turn back. And I didn't know anything about it, and the curiosity side of me definitely kicked in, and so I I kind of quietly sort of followed after it, just really fascinated, and just peacefully, gracefully glided out of sight, and I will always remember that, and it's just one of now many, many, many beautiful encounters that I've had, you know, with sharks in the water, But it is so sad that they are being wiped out around the planet. They're being killed for wasteful reasons, and a lot of people don't care because they're so afraid of them. But if they knew that truth and experienced that beauty themselves, I don't think that they would stand by and and let them be wiped out. I love this. We can't all grow up with the ocean as our backyard, but through our travels, we get to connect with places that broaden our understanding. And people like Ocean show us how being ecologically conscious can enhance our travels and shape our perceptions of the world. These people who are coming out and learning about sharks, they're safer in the water themselves, um, but they're also, you know, more educated consumers and they're more likely to make eco-friendly choices. And we don't all have to swim with sharks to appreciate Hawaii's marine life. There's whale watching, ocean kayaking, or simply admiring everything from the comfort of the beach. We just come, we watch, we have a good time, we clean up after ourselves. We leave only your footprints. It's just so beautiful, we want to keep it pristine. We gotta respect their home, and respect the ocean. It's got a lot of power. There's nothing like standing in front of the ocean to put things into perspective, especially at Ehukai. And at this point, you'll have a lot to think about as you wipe the sand from your feet, say goodbye to the beach, and hit the road for our next stop. It's just a short five-minute drive along Kamehameha Highway. But be prepared to be transported to a different time entirely. It's a quick turn off the main road to enter Waimea Valley. 
As we drive deeper into the lush greenery along Waimea Valley Road, the wall of vegetation holds a secret. Just beyond is a sanctuary of botanical gardens, over 1,000 acres of native forests, and misty waterfalls. This is a sacred place, a special place. It was historically reserved for priests only, so there are temples and other spiritual structures from the past peppered throughout the valley today. Today, Kaula Diamond wants visitors to know that the valley is welcome to all. That's Kaula blessing us with her lovely voice. She's the cultural programs manager of Waimea Valley, and for her, this place is the embodiment of old Hawaii, unfazed by fashion or trends. You know, everyone comes to the North Shore for the surf, for the waves, or for the shaved ice. Um, head up towards the mountains and you'll come right into the valley and come and see a little part of Hawaii that you may not know is still there. A large part of preserving the history of Waimea Valley is sharing its ancient stories, like the legend of Kane Aukai. The stories vary, but basically what it's about are two men or two priests. They caught in their net a fish and a stone. And they threw the fish back and they threw the stone back. This happened several times. And they thought to themselves that we keep catching this this stone, so it must be special. So let's give it a special place. So they took it up on a bluff before the entrance to Waimea Valley. And they cleared an area, and they were visited not long after that by a young man who talked to them about fishing and the stone and telling them they needed to find the body. It turns out this young man was none other than the god Kani Alkai, one of the most important fishing gods on the North Shore. Disguised as a young man, he tells the two men to go to a hale, or house, in Makula'ia to find the body. So the men embark on this journey, and they end up finding the body, a skeleton made of driftwood. They bring the body back to Waimea, setting it on the same bluff as the stone head, much to Kaneaukai's pleasure. And he was very pleased. He rewarded them and told them that his name was Kaneaukai, and... He rewarded them by every time they went fishing, that they would catch fish. And so the fishermen caught more fish, then more fish. In fact, it's from this legend that Waimea got its name, which translates to sacred water because of its bounty of fish. Waimea is blessed with big piles or big balls of fish that come in during the summer months. And it's supposedly because of this legend, and you can stop at the top of the bay and look down as you're driving and you have to be careful because it's kind of a blind bend but you can at those times of the year you can see the big black ball and that's a huge school of fish that still gathers in Waimea. While the driftwood body of Kaneaukai has vanished with time some say that the stone head is still around somewhere in the valley waiting to be found. What I like best about these local legends is the rich context and meaning that they infuse into these places. 
The ocean and the gift of a bounty of fish is as tied to Hawaii now as it has been throughout history. This connection to a place's history and culture makes the work that people like Kaula are doing to preserve the valley even more valuable. For me, and I will only speak for myself this time around in Waimea, what I'm doing there is not for the visitor per se, it's to heal a people. Many of us have been asleep and we're waking up. We're learning how to do again as our ancestors did. We're learning how to connect. But the beautiful thing is for everything that we're doing in Waimea, the visitor benefits from it. They are the benefactors. And not only for our families, but for anyone who comes into Waimea, that they can feel what we are trying to do that they can feel what Hawaii must have felt like a very long time ago, if they can feel the aloha and being embraced by the culture. And aloha is just not a word. It's not hello and goodbye. Aloha is very deep. Our words are very deep. But if you break down just the word aloha, alo is your face. Ha is the breath of life. So sharing that breath of life with someone, that's pretty heavy. And when we say aloha, that's what it is. And aloha also means it is love, but it's unconditional. So it should never be a word that is taken lightly or taken advantage of because it comes straight from the heart. And that's one of our driving forces as a people. For Waimea, it's a place that we want to continue sharing with the world because everyone could use a little aloha. So a trip to Waimea Valley gives you more than just stunning views, a dip in the waterfalls, or even a richer sense of Oahu culture. It helps you to consider the very breath of life. But for now, let's say goodbye, or aloha in its truest, deepest sense, to the sacred nature of Waimea Valley and start making our way back to Waikiki. The return trip takes about an hour, passing other North Shore spots like Haleiwa Ali'i Beach Park, a favorite gathering spot for picnics and big wave spectating, as well as surfing, kayaking, and fishing. We'll then cut down through the center of the island, driving south to our final stop for the evening, which brings us to where to stay. Consider catching the sunset, Mai Tai in hand, at the Moana Surf Rider, a Western resort and spa on Waikiki Beach. We'll sway to the sounds of live music in the Banyan Courtyard while watching the sky turn from baby pink to fiery orange and then dusk. You know, a night at the Moana Surf Rider is incomplete without knowing the backstory of this historic hotel. This was actually the very first hotel in Waikiki, having first opened its doors in 1901. This earned the Moana a nickname, the First Lady of Waikiki. The walls of the Moana are packed with stories. In 1934, it was here that Harry Owens launched the legendary radio show Hawaii Calls, which broadcast across the globe for decades. And during World War II, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the Moana was used as a haven for U.S. soldiers. And now, over a century after the Moana opened her doors, 
this deep history can still be felt. So grab a drink of the beach bar just steps away from the sand and watch the waves crash as you reflect on the wonders of the ocean this island journey has awoken you to. Just like that, we've reached the end of our Oahu North Shore road trip. We hope you find inspiration in the stories we've shared on making a difference for the preservation of the wildlife that calls the ocean home, on why sometimes the finest delicacies can be found in unassuming locations, and how Waimea Valley continues to honor the rich culture, one-of-a-kind nature, and the true meaning of aloha you can feel on Oahu. About the Journey is a podcast by Marriott Bomboy Traveler. This episode was produced by Atwell Media. Thanks to our guests on this episode for sharing their stories along the route. You can learn more about this route up along the North Shore of Oahu and get other road trip ideas from Marriott Bomboy Traveler at traveler.marriott.com or in the show notes. And if you like this episode of About the Journey, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Onika Raymond. See you next time on The Open Road. 